0: Let's uh, let's just take a moment to pray. Lord, we thank you for the opportunity this morning to gather, to worship you as a body, as a church, as your family here on this earth, representing you, Lord, in our communities, places we work, our neighborhoods, families. Thank you, Lord, that we are your ambassadors sent here into this world. Or that people might see you and know you through us. I pray that you help us to maintain that as our perspective. That's why, that's why you have us here. That's what you've called us to. To represent you together and individually as we walk through this world. We ask, Lord, that you would uh, speak to us through your word. That you would teach us this morning. I, I pray we would all Learn, learn more of you, grow to love you more <clears throat> deeply, to know your love for us more deeply. In your name we pray. Amen. Amen. I, I, Patty, I'm going to read the whole passage, the first two slides, straight through, and then I'll jump back in and you'll see how the thing goes. So, starting at, in chapter 5, verse 1, it says, Therefore, Having been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Through whom also we have obtained our introduction by faith into this grace in which we stand. And we exalt in hope of the glory of God. Not only this, but we also exalt in our tribulations, knowing that tribulations bring about perseverance, and perseverance, proven character, and proven character hope. And hope does not disappoint, because the love of God has been poured out within our hearts through the Holy Spirit who is given to us. Verse 6 For while we were still helpless, at the right time Christ died for the ungodly. For one will hardly die for a righteous man, though perhaps for a good man. Some would dare even to die. But God demonstrate, demonstrates His own love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. For if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God through the death of His Son, much more, having been reconciled, we shall be saved by His life. And not only this, but we also exalt in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received the reconciliation. Now, this is a familiar passage, and you've probably memorized a bunch of these verses, right? A lot of us have memorized a number of these verses. I wanted to read through it. I don't know if you notice, sometimes it's hard with these, that I, there's, there's a word in bold all the way through this. We and us. So remember, in chapter 1, verse 18... Through the end of chapter 1, Paul used they and them only. So he was speaking about those people, and he was, of course, talking about the, the weak in Rome that the Jewish Christians and some Gentile Christians wanting to live by the law, their view of Gentiles and outsiders was they and them, and he's talking about that. And then in chapter 2, he switches solely to you language. So he's speaking directly to those people and says, but you are no different. Now what he does, he only uses we and us language here. So what he's showing here, what he's doing here is he's saying he's giving us our shared identity in this passage. These are the things that all Christians, so he's saying, Paul, he's talking about himself. He's talking about Jewish Christian, Gentile Christian. All Christians share certain things. And now he's laying them out. What the identity markers of the Christian ought to be. And he goes through these you know, justified by faith and grace and redemption. These are what matter. These are the things we ought to focus on. Now, to the next slide, I'm going to jump back in and begin looking at these. Therefore, having justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom also we have obtained our introduction by faith into this grace in which we stand, and we exalt in hope of the glory of God. So the word exalt there is the word boast. That's kind of its literal translation. Well, Paul has been talking about how the Jew, Jewish Christians are boasting in circumcision, Torah, and Abraham. So he spent chapter 2, 3, and 4, all their boasts. And now he's saying, here's what we boast in. If you want to boast in something, we have a common thing Boast in. And that is the grace of God in our lives found in Jesus on the cross. Paul in Galatians said, May it never be that I boasted anything except for the cross. If you want to boast, in Rome, the Roman world, boasting was a good thing. No, it really was. It, was. it showed how good you were. Good people boasted. Now, in our world, we don't look at boasting as a good thing. Well, yes, we do. We just don't call it that. <laughs> we have sneaky ways of boasting that don't sound like boasting, but are boasting. We say, here's what you can boast in. Not what you've been boasting in. And, and really it's just that, what do we have? What can we do to show God that? Nothing. He's made it really clear we're all sinners, we're all, we've all fallen short. Our only boast is in the cross. It's the only thing that allows us to stand, it's the only thing that allows us to enter into God's presence. And I like that it says here, it says, This grace in which we stand. And and it's just this picture, almost like we're we're standing in this shower of God's continual grace in our lives. It's not just, oh yeah, God, by grace you're going to say, okay, you got that once, now that's done. But it's this constant shower of God's grace, and he's going to build on this, as we go through it. So there is a tremendous amount of theological wording in this passage, and in the book of Romans, reconciliation, redemption, justification, but right here, he says it in such ways we can all handle. He says, by faith, we have peace with God. And I think we can all get that. We we know what it's like Just in our normal lives, we all know what it's like when a close relationship has something break in it. It may even be temporary, but we've all experienced it. Your spouse, your children, parents, friends, other church members. Something disturbs the peace in the relationship. We know what that feels like then we also understand what it feels like to gain that peace back. I think we also all know what it feels like to have that experience of peace with God. When, you know, you just get that sense why there's real peace here with God. Yet, I think all of us at times feel like that peace is gone in our relationship with God. For one reason or another, what I want to take a little bit of time is what causes us to lose that experience? Now, we haven't lost God's peace. We all know that theologically, we know that. But our experience of that peace that can be a struggle. So what causes, what are some of the causes of that and how do we remedy it? So some practical things that I wanna throw out here today just to help us in our relationship with God. So the first thing you need to say is that the word peace here, it's, that it's of course the word shalom, shalom, which has this wide range of meaning to it. It's a big word, not, Simple as we might make peace man or peace out. It's a lot bigger than that. However, in this passage, what he's focused on here is the ending of hostility between warring parties. The peace with God is the ending in context of hostilities between warring parties. Remember, as we read it, he said, when you were what? Enemies of God. Starting in Genesis 3, humanity declared war on God. And then in Genesis 6, they declared nuclear war on God. And it got worse in Genesis 11, and it it continues. But God never declared war on us. Secretary of State Blinken had to go to Israel beginning of the week, trying to broker peace between Palestinians and Israel. Now, pretty much every Secretary of State in our lifetime has had to go to Israel once or twice to try and broker peace. And there's been all kinds of things signed, but of course we know, and it's not just there, but it's humanity. This peace just doesn't happen. There's a little parable Jesus told. It's about a king who owns a vineyard. And he lives off them. He goes off to get a kingdom. And he sends his people, his ambassadors to... The vineyard, so he puts it in charge of other folks and, and they come to collect and to make sure things are going well and they says they, they beat some of them, they kill others, they run them off. Every year he does the same. Finally he says, I'll send my son, they'll respect him. Jesus says, they, so the son comes and, and they say, this is the heir, let's kill him and the, the vineyard will be ours. Well that's what God did. What well, what we see of God is that He was He has been continually trying to bring get peace with us. He's continually trying to broker a peace deal with humanity. So he sends his son as the final ambassador. But he doesn't try to get an agreement. He does something totally different. He simply gives himself into the hands of humanity to crucify him. And in doing that, what happened was he defeated the real enemy, who was causing that which was broken in peace between us and God. And he destroys powers of sin and death and the devil on the cross so that the conditions may be set to bring about peace. The book of Psalms and I, I think it's so important to read psalms continually because they describe and express how we can have these feelings of lack of peace with God and feeling disconnected and are the best source for us to learn how to get reconnected.
1: That is a simple,
0: practical thing, but I would just encourage you to regularly read through the Psalms. Some people just never stop doing that. It's just every day they read one. And it doesn't, there's no rule. But just that the psalms are a regular aspect of your life. We, we sing psalms. But whatever works for you, because it's within the book of psalms. It's what Jesus used all the time. When you read. He's always quoting from psalms, because he understood the connection of that book with our relationship with God and our experience of our relationship with God. So that's a really simple, practical thing, but it's
1: critical
0: thing for us to do. A small thing that everyone can do to maintain a better relationship with God. A couple other things. One of the causes of not sensing, experiencing that peace with God is unconfessed sin. Well, that's an easy one, not, not an easy one, <laughs> but that's a simple solution. John 1 9. If we confess our sins, how many of you all, a lot of you have this memorized, so you can quote it with it. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins, to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. There you go. You're not experiencing that closeness with God. If there is unconfessed sin, well, you just confess. And what happens? He's faithful and just. We think he's just. Oh, he's going to kill us for the sin. No, but he's faithful and just to do what? Forgive. God's justice and righteousness, because it's the same word, in the New Testament, they just translate it however they wish. Lead to forgiveness and cleansing. A second way, wait, a that nice? Keep it ahead. Another cause is guilt and shame over our sins that we've confessed 30 times. Anyone? I, I mean, that's me. <laughs> You know, it was my upbringing. Confess, confess. And that is a problem. And it usually relates to faith and doubt. Now, I'm not saying doubt like lousy doubter. It's more the father who said, whose son was sick, one of his, Jesus, the son, he said, I believe, help me in my belief." We all have that doubt at times. <clears throat> I believe, I want to believe, but I doubt. I struggle. And it's really believing in the gospel. Paul said earlier in Romans, I couldn't wait to come to Rome to preach the gospel to you. And he wrote it to Christians who believed in the gospel for years. He wasn't trying to get them saved. He understood the need for us to have a clear understanding of the gospel, a full understanding. I know there's a lot of theology in Romans, and we need to take that theology and bring it into our heart language. But it's important to understand salvation and what happened and what God did for us in Christ on the cross. It's not enough just to. Re- How do I say this without it sounding weird? It's not enough just to re- ask Jesus in your heart. What I mean by that—that's not enough to under—that's not enough understanding to experience what God has done for us. Yes, believe we believe in Christ. We're saved. We need to understand what that means, and. The only way to do that is to do a little work. (laughs) So next practical thing. Read these kind of what look like theological passages and just turn them into your heart language. What speaks to you? Ephesians 1 would be another one. Read Ephesians 1. It tells you all of the things that that happened when you got saved. And it's like lots of verses. And there's all these blessings that you, that we each receive. We came to Jesus. And we need to let those fill our hearts. So here's some more practical steps. Very simple ones. And I've kind of mentioned these. I'll repeat them. Meditate and ponder the scriptures. The Bible verses that talk about our, what we have in Christ, our forgiveness, our reconciliation, our redemption, our salvation. Just let them fill our hearts. And then, like I said, translate them into your own language. The second thing, if, you know, Philippians 4.8, we've talked often about that. Whatever's good, whatever's noble, whatever's pure, whatever's right, I'm probably mixing them up. Let your mind dwell on all these good and noble and right things. We need to do that about God. We need to do it about ourselves, about others. But we need to do that about God, to think good of God. And again, we find all that in the Bible. learning that. And then the third thing. Is, and I think we all understand this, that we, we understand things best through narrative and story. All, and story, all of us have experienced watching a movie, reading a book, hearing somebody tell a story that has affected us and caused us to be transformed. But we are created that way. God created us us as people of story because God is a God of story. He's constantly telling stories. He's a storyteller. Just read Genesis 1, 2, and 3 and and then continue. And it's story after story after story. And to help us understand God's goodness and who (laughs) he is, I think one of the best places to go is to read and meditate, ponder and think about the stories of Jesus in the Gospels, stories about Jesus. Because Jesus came to reveal God to us, John says. So when we see Jesus, we see God. We want to know what God's like? Well, look at you. What did Jesus do? That's God walking on earth. So read those stories about God, but then read the stories Jesus told. Because in those stories, and when we read those stories, focus on what is he saying about God? I know he's saying a lot about you and me. So we read them and we're, 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 we're tending to focus on it, which is okay, which is good. But he's also saying a lot about God, the vineyard. Well, yeah, he's talking about these evil people and how they reject, but what he's really saying is God's just going to keep trying to get peace with us, restore our relationship with him. The prodigal son. We like to, and this is okay to do, and very proper, figure out, am I the older son? Am I the younger son? Which one am I? And we are both at different times. But the story is about the Father. He plays the primary role in the story. And there's so much we see about God in that story. And it's like any other story, movie, you see that powerfully impacts you. They have that potential because they're scripture. Well, let's move on to the next slide. One more peace disruptor. And that's in verse 3. And not only this, but we also boast. Same word. In our tribulations. Knowing that tribulations brings about perseverance, and perseverance, proven character, proven character, hope. And hope does not disappoint, because the love of God has been poured out within our hearts the Holy Spirit who is given to us. I think we allow tribulations and troubles and struggles disrupt our relationship with God because we think that they are a sign that God doesn't really love us. And I know we wouldn't say that, but I think in our hearts sometimes that when we're going through tough times, we start questioning: does God care about? what we do is God really loved me Jesus said in this world you will have tribulations but take courage I have overcome the world and we need to have a gain a different perspective about our troubles that they are not a sign of God not caring but maybe they're more proof that he cares Now, for us, most of our tribulations tend to be personal, individual, like health issues or loss and grief, financial issues, natural disasters that affect us, emotional issues, relational issues, all bring about tribulations and trouble for us. Those are real tribulations that God cares about and wants to prove our character and teach us perseverance through. And the, the folks in Rome, they experience all the same troubles that we experience, all humans out forever, But they also experience a shared struggle. They were Christians in Rome during the time of Nero. In just a few years, Nero will be burning Christians as lanterns for their festivals. They, and at this point, they're experiencing hostility from their world, which, you know, we experience a little hostility. But nothing compared to what some in our world experience in their faith, and what ones in the past have experienced. I think we probably need to learn how to take our tribulations and incorporate them, and make them a we, rather than personal. And I, I just throw that out and we'll move on. I'm not real sure. It's probably a whole other topic to discuss at some point. So the next slide, I'm just going to read through these, get us to where we're going here. For while we were still hopeless, at the right time Christ died for the ungodly. And then verse 8, but demonstrated his own love towards us and that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Next slide, verse ten: For if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God through the death of His Son, much more having been reconciled, we shall be saved by His life. And not only this, but we also boast in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, to whom we have now received reconciliation. So he goes. So he takes all those words he's been using. Ungodly. Talked about. You know. The, it's those who live without God going all the way back to, to chapter 1 verse 18. Remember last week Abraham while when he was ungodly and then sinners and these are derogatory words, meaning those who are beyond reconciliation and redemption. only they weren't, but that's how they were viewed by some in Rome. And he's basically saying that is all of us. So we can only boast. In Jesus. That's the only boast that we have. Now, if we go to 12, there's a shift, but not so much. Therefore, just as though one man s- through one man, and what Paul's going to do, starting in 12 to the end of chapter 5, setting up chapters 6, 7, and 8, the big ones. That's why I'm going to give this to... This- this morning, so that next week we can start the big ones of Romans. He tells a narrative. And, and he actually has been doing this all through Romans. Everything, not oh, Romans is the theological. No, it's only these stories. It's a story of Adam and Jesus. And he compares and contrasts. Therefore, just as through one man, Adam, sin entered into the world, and death through sin, And so death spread to all men because all sin. Now when we think of sin, I tend to think what we do is we think of personal sins. That's what we focus on, right? You know, the things I do wrong or you do wrong, those are sins. True, that's part of it. But there's really three aspects of sin in the Bible. The second one is corporate sin, sin that has been embedded in all of the institutions and structures, cultures of our world. And it's often spoken of in the Bible. There's all this stuff, the sins of the people. What what, what you see when these prophets come, they're always talking about corporate sin. Sure, they're individual sin, but there's all kinds of corporate sin. Sometimes we want to avoid that. Racism is a corporate sin. It could be an individual sin. Greed is a corporate sin. It could be an individual sin. But it's also corporate. I think the Bible is extraordinarily clear on that. There's a third one. And that is, I have that here, sin as a power. Sin is a spiritual power. It is an entity. And look what it says here. Through Adam, sin entered the world. This spiritual entity, this power of evil, entered into the world. I know if you the Bible Project, talk, some of their videos talk a lot about this. So if you want to go to their website, just search "sin" and you'll get a more in-depth version of this. But go back to the garden because that's what we're talking about here. This is the garden, Adam. How in the world did the serpent get there? No, that you we have no idea. But you ought to ask that question. How did he get there? When we read creation, we think, you know, it's good Everything's good. Everything's good. Everything's good. We're in this beautiful garden. Why in the world is there a tree of the knowledge of good and evil in there? I mean, in a good garden, I would think there'd be a tree of what? The knowledge of good. But there's a tree of the knowledge of good and evil. What's going on? No, we just don't know. But there's stuff in the heavenlies that is evil. And it's kind of like when Adam and Cindy opened the door and things flooded in. Let me read Michael Byrd's commentary on this. It's fascinating. He's talking about the sin entering the world. He said, sin is personified by Paul as something that enters and reigns. Later we learn that it can be obeyed, pays wages, seizes opportunity, deceives, kills, and even dwells in people. Sin is portrayed as the villain death his weapon, and people his victim. Sin is the sum of evil, personal and impersonal, that found a portal into the world by the disobedience of Adam and Eve. Kind of sounds like our multiverse and all that kind of stuff, you know. Parallel universes. Sin immediately became a deadly pathogen potent, Lethal, instantly producing death in all with whom it came into contact. (laughs) Sin brought death, spiritual death, and physical death, and then eternal death to all people. Then he quotes Beverly Gaventa in her comments. In Romans, in particular, and it's written this way, sin, small s, lowercase s, is sin, uppercase, capital. Then she says, not a lowercase transgression, not even a human disposition or flaw in human nature, but an uppercase power that enslaves humankind and stands over and against God. the Real enemies. Next verse, verse 13 says, For, this is interesting. I'm not going to talk about it until we get to chapter (laughs) 7. I read this wow. For until the law, sin was in the world, but sin is not imputed when there is no law. Now the word imputed, which we don't use very much, is to count, to make no record of, not to charge against. What is he saying? Sin is not counted, or brought a charge against, when there is no law. Nevertheless, death reigned from Adam until Moses. So we're going to stop there with that, and, and that's for chapter 7, because he brings this up again in chapter 7. And then I'll just close off with these last verses in the chapter. But the free gifts, So he's talked all about this sin, this entity, it's like, oh, no. getting in but the free gift is not like the transgression totally different Look what it says for if by the transgression of the one many died and then these words much more did the grace of God and the gift by the grace of the one man Jesus Christ abound to the many Grace is so much bigger than sin. Grace is a power also. It is a power that dwarfs the power of sin. Then he goes on and says, for by the transgression of the one, death reigned through the one. Now look he says. Much more. Those who receive the abundance of grace and of And of the gift of righteousness will reign in life through the one Jesus Christ. Sin reign, sin reign. Now, who will reign? Us. We will reign. And then the last verse says this. Last two verses. Next slide. Where sin increased, grace abounded all the more. When sin increases, grace abounds all the more. What a, what a way to live. goes on and says, as sin reigned in death, even so grace might reign through the righteousness to eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Jesus reigns as king. His reign as king is a reign grace reigns. We need to live within that reign. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you. Thank you for the grace that's been poured out upon all of us. That our sins are wholly forgiven in every way. There's peace with God our Lord Jesus Christ. In your name we pray. Amen. the dead, the great shepherd of the sheep, our Lord Jesus Christ, equip you with every good thing to do his will, working in us what is pleasing before him, through Jesus Christ, to whom we glory forever. Amen.